Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, I'm happy to see such a large and enthusiastic crowd. Um, I'm Jeff Mankoff with the Russia and Eurasia program here at CSIS, and I have the privilege to be moderating our discussion this morning with Rim Gofanov, who is the director of Radio Free Europe's Tatar Bashkir service, um, a position that he's been in now for more than 10 years um, and has been with RFE for, I think we figured out, close to 25 years. Um, he is um, a native of Kazan um, and covers um, issues in the Volga region and among the, the Tatar community um, more broadly. Um, we're going to be talking today about uh, the situation of the Tatars and ethnic minorities more generally in Russia uh, since the annexation of Crimea, um, a period that's seen increased efforts at Russification and crackdowns on independent um, uh, ethnic and national organizations. Um, I think particularly we're going to be focusing on the Tatars, but we'll have a discussion that ranges more broadly than that as well. Um, and I hope it'll be a, an interactive discussion. We'll have lots of opportunities for you to uh, ask questions of RIM uh, as well. So without um, any further ado, uh, turn the floor over to RIM Gofanov. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, good morning. Uh, I would start that every time I go outside uh, and uh, meet new, new people, and they usually ask me where I come from, I said, I usually say Tatarstan, and practically all of them are full of joy, very excited, and saying, oh, Kazakhstan, very nice. <laughs> and after I start insisting on my Tatar origin and explaining where Tatarstan is, uh, it's like Republic in Russia, not in Central Asia, not in Caucasus, not in the Middle East, but in Middle Volga, still in Europe. And second excitement comes because m many of them think only Russians live in Russia. So mm -hmm. today I'm sure we have a, a little bit different audience here. And to make the story even uh, shorter for US audience, I would say that Tatarstan it's, it's like Texas with strong regional identity and where the oil is. Mm -hmm. The only remarkable difference might be that Tatarstan has much stricter gun control. <laughs> no barbecue. <laughs> uh, exactly a year ago, October 31st, Russian President Vladimir Putin gave an order to start working on a special federal law uh, called On Russian Nation. The idea came from uh, former nationalities minister Vyacheslav Mikhailov the meeting of Presidential Council for Inter-Ethnic Relations. And the, the idea was immediately picked up and approved by uh, Putin. So the idea to start cooking a new nation, uh, they call it new civic political nation, was floating among Russian elite long time ago. Uh, Putin himself promoting the idea you probably know, aware of that, of so-called common cultural code shared by all the ethnic groups in Russia, despite their different linguistic, historical, cultural differences. Uh, the term also uh, spiritual unity is widely used, sometimes to describe and promote this Russian new Russian nation. And now, exactly year we can see how the cooking is going to be. 
process is just being unleashed all over ethnic areas in Russia against minority languages with the most spectacular things happening in, in Tatarstan till now the strongest ethnic stronghold I would say which was uh, at the same time very stable ethnic republic in Russia in July 20th Putin made another statement which might be considered as a major step in implementing this uh, concept of the wider political civic nation when he said that it was impermissible to force someone to learn a language that, that is not person's native language as well as to reduce the powers of Russian language in Russia's ethnic republics. This caused a big controversy in, in Tatarstan particularly because uh, the Tatar in, in this republic is thought as one of two state languages. It's not like simple, it's not considered like simple mother tongue. It's by constitution of Tatarstan, it's a, a Tatar and Russian are declared as a state languages, regional state languages. And uh, with his recent statement, Putin openly indicated that he doesn't recognize these re regional regulations, regional constitution, uh, and only central government regulation counts. Immediately, Russian federal prosecutors started to implement Putin's warning, going from school, verbatim, going from school to school, and uh, issuing their own warnings to cancel Tatar tutorials uh, or face criminal consequences for violating federal laws. And this controversy is becoming a real political crisis now in the region, destabilizing Tatarstan and dividing the society with ethnic borders as it happened in many post-Soviet countries immediately after the breakup of Soviet Union. Or I can even show the case of several Balkan countries. And these measures are smartly accompanied by the, I would say, guided activities of local pro-Moscow Russian activists who mobilize Russian parents to attack, as they call, needless junk Tatar language, and in fact spreading Russian superiority ideas and ideology of so-called greater Russian world. And right before this uh, harshest ever attack on Tatar language, we witnessed another showdown between Tatarstan and federal government. Uh, historically, uh, as Tatarstan claimed its sovereignty in the 90s, uh, they insisted on having separate treaty with federal government on sharing powers. It was first signed in 1994 and then re-signed 2007. And this treaty expired in August this year. Again, Tatarstan insisted on having another new treaty. Moscow has been hesitating to prolong it till now, despite Tatar lawmakers call, it, call for it to, to do so. Thus, building of Russian nation turns out to be another, even more sophisticated and radical reincarnation of famous Russification, 
for Russia's ethnic minorities, which they already suffered from Tsarist and then Soviet regimes previously. And the situation with the smaller, even smaller ethnic groups like Altais, Juvars, Maris, Udmurts, uh, even more tragic and dangerous because in their case, they are so weak, they, there is almost no opposition uh, against these uh, attempts by federal government to implement new Russification and they have no independent media, independent institutions to confront uh, and make those troubling policies more public. And now a question comes, why West should be interested in all this mess, some might ask, and including you, to get answers and to have a fruitful discussion. I will just throw a few bullet points to open it now, and uh, I think uh, the Q&A uh, session would be more more useful if you have any questions I will gladly ask, um, answer the questions just uh, the topics why Tatarstan matter uh, Russia uh, can be democratic only as truly federative state with certain degree of their ethnic entities own autonomy or in case of Tatarstan potential independence Importance of identity preservation as a wider base for political culture, tolerance, diversity, and pluralism. Uh, and uh, given that Tatars are a very specific region in, in Russian Federation, uh, Tatars uh, generally the second biggest minority in, in Russia, behind Russians. At the same time, uh, Tatars have uh, their own language, Tatar language, which is completely different. It's of Turkic, Altaic family, language family. Uh, the majority of Tatars are uh, Sunni Muslims, different culture, mostly oriented to Orient. Uh, so if at the same time Tatarstan in, in economical terms, very well-developed region in Russian Federation, one of the, the most advanced regions who attract, really attract foreign investment, and uh, had, have had so far a very stable government and stable political situation. And it, if dealt properly, Tatarstan actually, as an advanced economy, with rich history might be a showcase for even for wider Muslim world. Uh, so this is my bullet points. I mean, if, if uh, we, we will be focusing on this, uh, I would just pass to the audience the initiative and okay. some questions. Great. Well, thanks for the, the introduction um, to a, a region of Russia that I think you're right doesn't get very much attention um, in the West, but is important both in and of itself, but also for what it tells us about how the Russian government's approach to dealing with its own population across the country um, is going to, to go. One of the things we were talking about before the, the session started are the, the different groups of Tatars um, in different parts 
not only of Russia, but the former Soviet Union as well. And I was wondering if you could say something maybe um, for the audience about uh, the relationship between the, the Volga Tatars, uh, Tatarstan, and the, and the Crimean Tatars, um, who have gotten some attention in the West since the annexation of Crimea, and how both, you know, what the connections are at the sort of people-to-people -people level, but also if there are commonalities in terms of the Russian government's approach to, to dealing with the Tatar populations in these, in these two very different environments. Yeah, uh, Tatars a nation with a big and rich his history. So you probably all you all know the Golden Horde history, which was the big, very uh, spread empire on Eurasian space. And after is uh, after it uh, it was uh, so broke down, different uh, Tatar Khanates appear. One of them, Kazan Hanat, and this, the second famous in Crimean Hanat. But given that geographically they are uh, divided and they are spread from each other, and uh, with Russian expansion going in between these territories, the development of those different ethnic, uh, different Tatar groups went differently. So, uh, in terms of language, uh, culture and in, uh, international relations, the Crimean Hanat went its different way, and Kazan Hanat was eventually conquered by Russians in 16th century. Uh, Crimean Hanat had pretty much tight relations with the Ottoman Empire, so it was even in, uh, that, that even influenced their language. So Crimean Tatars have no problem communicating with Turks, for example, because the language already clo very close to Turkish now. In our case, the Kazan Tatar language uh, developed very in, in close societies, and uh, uh, we have we carry the same name, Tatars, but we the majority of Tatars in Russian Federation are Kazan Tatars. They are living in. Volgan Ural region uh, between Moscow and Ural Mountains. And the uh, Crimean Tatars, you know, had very uh, tragic history. First, they suffered, when Kazan Tatars also suffered genocide af after Russians occupied the territory, there were several waves of uh, forceful conversion to orthodoxy. We even have a small group of baptized Tatars. Uh, at the same time, we have no problem inside the community as far as religion concerned. Uh, and the Tatars can really be proud that uh, Orthodox Tatars and Muslim Tatars live uh, in peace and they never had any kind of, not, not even big, but any kind of conflict based on religion. And uh, in Crimean Tatars, this uh, survived first Tsarist expulsions to uh, Turkey. And then the, the most tragic things, uh, thing came in 1944 as the whole nation was deported from Crimea to Central Asia. And uh, according to some data, almost half a nation just died during the deportation and then the first years of settlement in Central Asia, in Siberia. So now, uh, 
officially Crimean Tatars considered as a different, separate ethnic group. Uh, it's reflected in all census already. In the last Soviet census also included Crimean Tatars as a, as a separate group. Uh, politically, this is also interesting phenomena because uh, Crimean Tatars very actively uh, in political terms and they are, uh, I would say that they are natural allies of international community in terms of uh, keeping the world order. They, in many of them, majority still wants, uh, still considers Crimea as a part of Ukraine because despite of the fact that Crimea was under Ukraine, under independent Ukraine, I would say, uh, only several years, not a big uh, period of time actually, but nevertheless it was the, the most successful years in developing ethnic identity in, uh, in their ethnic revival. That's why they consider Ukraine as their home state. And in this, uh, I would say that this, is, this group is the most, poli most politically active, most united, and most trustworthy. Okay, let's open it up to the audience. Um, do we have microphones? Or? Okay, uh, please wait for a, a microphone to come around. Um, identify yourself, and please do ask a question. So end your statement with a question. Yes, hello. Uh, my name is uh, Walter Ruby. I uh, represent the Greater Washington Muslim Jewish Forum and uh, worked in um, Muslim Jewish relations internationally and uh, had some uh, work with the, with the Crimean Tatars actually during the Ukrainian period, um, uh, working with the Jewish community in Simferopol and the Crimean Tatars. And unfortunately, uh, after the Russian invasion, that became impossible because some of the Jewish groups uh, which had been involved then became very pro-Russian and so forth. Um, but my, my question was really about um, following up with you, exactly the points you were making um, in terms, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the uh, cooperation today and, and uh, what, what the um, Tatarstan government and Tatarstan civil society is doing uh, perhaps to help the Crimean Tatars um, at this point um, in their very desperate, I should say, from what I understand, situation. Um, so that really what, what kind of exchanges are going on? And uh, as the whole thing started with annexation, uh, Putin, as a proper intelligence officer, he his regime, he considered all the possible ways to influence whoever in Crimea to get on the Russian side. So the Crimean Tatars were of major concern because they are historically anti-Soviet, because they know what Soviet Union brought to them, they know what Russia brought to them during the Tsarist regimes. So they are clearly uh, pro-Ukrainian, pro and anti-Russian. So Putin's as the task was to, to, to do something with, that, with it and uh, he tried to use Kazan Tatars. 
many Tatar intellectuals remember it very with a shame, but uh, a lot of delegations started to come from Kazan to Simferopol, and they tried to pursue uh, Crimean Tatars to accept the annexation, saying Putin will give you money to develop your schools, culture. Uh, Crimean Tatar was formally announced as a state language, though in reality it, it, it's nothing. I mean, the, the Crimean Tatar is basically not used officially. And, uh, but all these uh, attempts failed. Uh, and uh, just few of Crimean Tatar activists actually started to collaborate with uh, occupational regime. But in vast majority, Crimean Tatars, as I said, they are still pretty much very pro-Ukrainian. But it was, I mean, Moscow tried to use Kazan Tatars, and they later saw that it gives no results, so they stopped it. So now practically no, no contacts between Kazan and Crimean Tatars, because it all depends on Moscow's policy. If, yeah, if needed, they, they want to use it, but if, if, if they say it has no results, so they just stop it. But at the civil society level, there's not much interaction now? Uh, on, on the level of uh, Tatar activists, like uh, pro-independence, pro-autonomy pro activists, they, they all understand what the situation is. There is a contact uh, between Mili Majlis and Tatar national activists, Tatar uh, political, uh, non-governmental activists, I would say. Uh, nothing has changed for them, but uh, on, on official level, it was very, pretty much uh, conducted or controlled by Moscow. Okay. Is there, yeah, in the back. Thank you, good morning. Alex Sanchez, I'm a defense analyst. Um, one quick question. I know that, well, next year, Russia is going to host the FIFA World Cup and Kazan is going to be one of the host cities. I'm wondering how is the city and Tatars are preparing for this you know, a great event. I know that the so-called Islamic State has promised that they're going to carry terrorist attacks across Russia if they host the World Cup. Is there any, are there any security measures being taken in Kazan to protect the, you know, the population the, and, the, and the tourists that are going to go over there? And you know, given that you mentioned that Tarzan has significant Muslim population, most of them secular. Is there any particular concern from Moscow that something could happen over there? Thank you. Uh, you probably uh, heard stories about the I mean, corruption in, in Russia, but especially in this, in building and construction of the sport, uh, I mean, stadiums, mm -hmm. sport centers, in uh, almost everywhere where the World Cup matches are scheduled, they have some problems. In Petersburg, in Samara, in Saransk, uh, they, they just, in some places, they cannot probably make it till the, op till the World Cup opens. But on, the, there is only case, uh, they don't have any problems, and in, this is in Kazan. Kazan in 2013 uh, had hosted uh, World University Games and the city was pretty much good prepared for this. So the stadium is over there already, so it, it, it's functioning, and, and many other centers uh, were built specially to this event, and the infrastructure was prepared, 
a metro line was built again only an uh, international airport was reconstructed so in terms of accepting uh, world cup events kazan is fully prepared in terms of political situation and uh, security situation i don't see any problem in this because till now as i said tatarstan was case of you know uh, real tolerance uh, as long as i mean in terms of coexisting of different religious groups. The two major com uh, communities, they are Muslim and uh, Orthodox uh, Christians. Historically, no problems till now. And we have also a big Jewish community too, with the synagogue and, uh, uh, and security. No terror, major terror if, uh, event was registered so far. And in terms of security, uh, um, well, as a journalist, as a, as a media who covers the region, I am following the development uh, for 25 years now. Until now, I didn't uh, see any, any really major, not no any kind of attack on foreigners, not at all. So so far, it's it's very stable. But again, as I said. As Russian, as Putin started with this language issue, and this divided so far more or less consolidated population into Tatar and Russian communities. This little, I mean, starts me worrying a little bit, but again, it's not like religious instability, it's not instability in terms of uh, xenophobia or. Uh, hatred to foreigners, no, not, no problem at all with this. And what is the demographic balance in Tatarstan between Tatars and uh, Russians? Tatars slightly uh, more, it's like up to 53% of the population Tatar mm -hmm. and 39 Russian and a lot of other ethnic, uh, different ethnic groups like Chuvars, Udmurts, Maris, the, the ethnic groups who are living mm -hmm. uh, around the Tatarstan. Thank you. My name is Nart Shechem, and I am Cherkes, which, as I understand, is a Tatar word, because in our language, there is no such word. And apparently, the Golden Horde, when they came upon the North Caucasus, they didn't know what to call us. They picked that word. So you probably know the meaning of that word more than I do. Uh, my question is about the Nogai Tatars, or as we call them, Nagway, who also inhabit the North Caucasus. And I also was told by a Cossack that I met here in Washington that at some point there were regiments of Cossacks comprised totally of Tatars. Is that true? Uh, I have no idea about the Cherkes <laughs> name, by the way. Uh, as, my, I, as a historian, I can, I can only say that uh, Caucasus is populated with such a big diversity of ethnic groups. So probably the, the, the newcomers from Steppe at that time just decided to call of them, all of them in, in one language. So it, it went into the history like Cherkes. Uh, as for Nugais, Nugais it's another biggest chunk of the former Golden Horde. Yeah. And there's a big Nugai component in Kazan Tatars and Crimean Tatars too. Actually, this is what unites us. And this Nogai component of, of the, in the language makes me understand Crimean Tatar. 
So again, Nuga is, uh, they are right in between uh, Kazan and Crimean Tatars, and then big part of them moved to uh, current Romania and Bulgaria. There are Dobruja Tatars, so-called in Dobruja. They are again predominantly Nugais. Historically, they are Nugais. And as for Cossacks, uh, there has no, never been a uh, Cossack unit among Tatars. We have a case with Bashkirs. This is a relative uh, ethnic group to Tatars, almost the same language, the same history, the same singers, the same writers, intellectuals. But again, uh, wisely divided by Bolsheviks after the revolution, they uh, considered themselves one nation, Tatars and Bashkirs, but Bolsheviks created first Bashkiri autonomy and then Tatar autonomy. So now two nations are busy fighting each other. Uh, in case of Bashkirs, Tsarist uh, government used them in uh, foreign military raids and Bashkirs have small Cossack units and they are even sort of proud of this because it it was sign of you know Tsarist government accepted them as a I know as as their servant and after the collapse of Soviet Union there was an attempt attempt to reorganize these Bashkiri Cossack units but it's again it's like ethnographic games nothing more there is no political force behind it so Russian government is now using Cossacks, Russian Cossacks, very actively in all trouble for them areas where the ethnic groups are. So in, in Caucasus, in Crimea, and uh, in, in Ural, in, in, in the region around Chelyabinsk and Yekaterinburg. Uh, but Tatars as a... Uh, Tatars were sort of very executed, repressed during Saris. They were. That's why I'm saying that the Tatar development went in closed societies, in closed areas. So they they didn't deal much with Saris government. They just existed as they on on their own. Uh, no Cossack history with Tatars. Alexander Roborsky, Embassy of Ukraine. <clears throat> I would like uh, to put such a question. Uh, how Tatar uh, civil society in Tatarstan, political activists, uh, maybe just common people, how they react on information of this uh, wave of repression against Crimean Tatars, which is a really serious issue. It's, it's really mass repression. Uh, we see like a repeat of kind of Stalin repressions against this, uh, against people. How they react emotionally, just like people, maybe uh, there are some statements from civic activists. That's my question. On the level of civic society and activists, as I said, uh, nothing has changed towards Crimean Tatars and they are pretty much uh, sympathetic uh, with the fight of Crimean Tatars for their for their re identity in occupied uh, Crimea, 
on the level of government uh, and the majority, unfortunately, you see Tatarstan is, is in deep in Russian heartland. And uh, for example, I, as a, our Tatar service, Radio Free Europe, working, by the way, since the, the right beginning of the radio stations from 1933, we were broadcasting in short wave. The wave jammed terribly. So uh, there is no much possibility, or there has not been much possibility to go into with free information during Soviet times, and it's, it's the same now. And the majority of the Tatar population is uh, pretty much influenced by official propaganda. They are all under, uh, they all watch this Russian TV because otherwise, actually, there is no, no other media, especially free media in the region left. We are, we don't broadcast even on radio now because radio is not as popular. The only case we can work on the radio if, if FM is available, but in our case it's not available because we used to have a transmission over there, but as Putin came to power, first thing he did, he forced all our partners in the regions, including Russian service, by the way, uh, just to get rid of uh, the partnership with us. So just uh, they, they force them, they, they threaten them, they, they can lose the frequency. So all the partners, they threaten to that extent that we don't have any rebroadcasting in Russia anymore. And I've heard that, for example, some Russian media have easily, can be easily accessed in DC, for example, on FM if I'm not mistaken, right? Like Sputnik, or you can watch, I, or, or for example, I came to New York, and as, as I went to my hotel and switched on TV, the first thing via Russian, Russia Today, on the local TV, on the local cable. And I tried to look for CNN, I couldn't find it in New York. We would dream about that kind of attitude in Russia towards us, but we don't have that kind of attitude. So uh, how do you broadcast then? In we are on, in, on internet. All, it's all online? It's all on, online only. So far internet more or less free, but uh, as, as I can expect, uh, ahead of presidential, forthcoming presidential elections, the policy towards all free foreign media will be uh, tightened. They already started working on it. Uh, there was a special working group created in Federation Council in Russia. Uh, it, it, they call it like uh, monitoring the cases of interference into internal Russian affairs. So most likely they will uh, want us to be registered as a foreign agent or they proclaim us as a non-desirable organization. And, uh, so we are working in these terms, and you ca it's, it's still I'm answering your question because the majority of the population under uh, big Kremlin pressing, and uh, they consider uh, so all this official propaganda about Crimea gives its results, and s some people think that 
Crimean Tatars should have taken the help from Moscow and accept the annexation, it would be nice for them. Some people are, some Tatars are glad that, or finally, uh, there are more Tatars in Russian Federation. That kind of simple, very simplified understanding of the situation. They are not going deep because uh, there is no media that can question the, this situation, this very controversial situation. Hello, my name is Rosie Berman. I'm in the process of job hunting in the foreign affairs space. And my question also has to do with civil society, but it's about what is civil society in the middle Volga region doing to counter Putin's recent measures about language instruction? Uh. Thanks for the question. It's really interesting because, as I said, uh, the majority of the population was very uh, led by Kremlin propaganda. But in this particular case, many people just uh, woke up. They saw real uh, face of, I would say, I wouldn't afraid to say this word, but Russian imperialism again, because till now, because of, I mean, oil prices, the good economical situation. Many people think, thought actually that the Putin is a real leader, so finally we have some more or less uh, affordable life. It's stable, uh, it's safe, but first of all, oil prices went down and it immediately affected the economical situation. And the people saw that it's not that simple as they understood previously. And now the language issue, language issue uh, made them wake up because they saw that actually the leader who they admired started to do something against them, against their identity. And uh, a lot of people went on streets. Uh, they were, uh, it's very popular now among young people, for example, different flash mobs. For example, they organized singing Tatar ethnic uh, anthem to Antil and posting them on social networks. Which, uh, this was also a very interesting phenomenon for us to study. Uh, a lot of protests uh, petitioning uh, addressing the president himself and uh, that helped a lot to raise the awareness what kind of regime we are now living in. This is the first thing. The second thing, it's co uh, connected to other problems, uh, ecology or fighting for, for your rights in case of collapsed banks because in Russia several banks collapsed. It's again the outcome of uh, sanctions, outcome of Crimean uh, uh, adventure, outcome of uh, harsher economical situation. And uh, these cheated clients started to, to self-organize themselves. This also pretty much helped to, uh, to raise, as I said, raise awareness of possibility of civic activities and uh, now it's 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 on rise
Okay. Any other questions from uh, the audience? Okay. Um, well, one other thing, I guess, maybe throw out there, which is since we are um, in Washington, and I know you said um, you're meeting with um, representatives of the administration and, and Congress, what is it that you're asking, or what would you like to see um, from Western partners in, in terms of dealing with the, the growing repression of ethnic minorities in Russia and the situation around the, the Tatars in particular? Uh, you know, till now, as I said at the beginning, that, that uh, in, uh, if someone thinks of Russia, he or she thinks it's Russian, it's, it's a big territory, it's somewhere very far, very cold, maybe dangerous, but still it's Russians, you know, beers, I don't know. Uh, but Russia, it's not only I mean, not Moscow, and Moscow is not Russia. Russia is different. And some regions are really particular interest for United States, for, for the West. And among them, Tatarstan, I think, is, is the most uh, attractive region. Uh, as I said, uh, I, I, I throw this um, bullet point why, why Tatarstan matter, actually. Uh, in several terms, first, if West wants to see Russia, the whole Russia, as a truly democratic state, it should consider that the different regions of that state should be truly democratic first, or should be put in these conditions. They can, they can be developed freely, and otherwise Russia can adopt very formally very democratic constitution, for example. It has now, actually. It's, it's one of the most progressive, you know, democratic constitutions in the world. But it's just on the paper. This is the problem. And, uh, and it's not enough to proclaim only individual freedoms, plurality, division of power, rule of law, civic society but the also the rights of minorities should be guaranteed in this constitution. They don't have to fight each time as some great leader thinks opposite about their language, about their culture, about the alphabet, for example. The famous story, you probably don't know, that Tatar language, as all Turkic languages, want, uh, the four Turkic languages, Latin alphabet is more suitable. This is a whole philologist view uh, because of the phonetics. And the Latin language reflects this phonetics the, the best in comparison to even to Arabic Tatars used to have before for centuries, more better, much better uh, than Cyrillic. And Tatars used to have Latin alphabet in 30s, but Stalin uh, forcibly changed it to Cyrillic in 1940. And uh, since that time, we don't have certain letters. I mean, we have sounds, but we don't have letters for these sounds. And the uh, Tatarstan parliament adopted a law that we are 
uh, returning back to Latin alphabet. There was a special program adopted in 10 years, like in Kazakhstan now, by the way. And, uh, but again, Mr. Putin came with his agenda of creating some very advanced Russian world. And the Russian Duma uh, adopted a, a law, special law banning all the alphabets for non-Russian languages and I mean, linking them only to Cyrillic. And they, they explain it like uh, other alphabets are destroying the common educational space or cultural space. This is also one of the steps to this russification I was talking about because, again, they are doing everything to make these minority languages disappear as soon as possible. Okay. Um, if there are no more questions, uh, we can wrap up here. Thank you all for coming. Let's give a hand to our presenter. Thanks, Sharon. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we have a video um, that uh, Rim brought and that um, we want to show you guys. It's like two minutes, right? Yeah, two minutes and a half. Sometimes we have very good photo galleries about the life of minorities in our region. RFERL Tata Bashkir service projects, ethnic beauty and its identity, is not only for women but also for a broader audience willing to stand up to the threats they face. What does it mean to be a Mari? It affects everything. Language, rituals, family, all those things make up the nation. What is freedom? Although it is trivial, the first word that comes up to my mind is beginning. Tatar blood flows through my veins, but I'm not sure how much. As a child, I was always teased Tatar. Мне всегда было интересно наблюдать, как разные народы уживаются в такой большой стране. Много десятков разных народностей живут бок о бок много веков, привнося в культуру друг друга что-то свое. Изучая все это, я пытаюсь прежде всего понять про свой русский этнос. Задавая тему про современную женщину, я хотел добиться эффекта размышления. Когда ты остаешься вечером в тишине, закрываешь глаза, и твоя образность начинает работать. Okay, that's the video. Thank you all again. <laughs>